Good morning. Lots of faces I don't know. I was born in this congregation, basically. And um, so lots of you I don't know, but it's been it's a wonderful privilege to be here and see all the new faces that God's adding to us. Okay. So I don't know if... Um, you know what I'm going to preach on, or if that was, where's the, not, so, so I'll, I'll say it, but because what I wanted to say is the thing that, that I was asked to preach on, I'm going to preach about that, but not probably on the topic, so the topic is healing, and I asked that, uh, Luke asked if I can come and share on healing, but as um, I was preparing and I checked in with George and the guys, it's like, what, what I felt God wants to say to us about healing is not almost what is the theology of healing, why does God heal, why does he sometimes not heal, because we often want to know, well, how do I pray for healing so that I get healing, and how do I, why does God sometimes not heal when I thought I had faith for healing, but, and you can spend a whole lot of time on the specifics of the topic, but more important than the specifics of the topic is what is God's way with us in this life, and where does healing fit into that? Because the, the, how God provides is a topic, but how God interacts with us generally is a way of God and how he does things always. And we find our security in the character of God, the known ways of God, and then how he heals is an is a element of that. That's not the main thing. The main thing is this relationship with God, who he is, who I know him to be, what I'm certain of in his character and how that informs how I think about healing and how I think about provisioning and how I think about everything else. When I say I, I mean us. Okay. So, it's more like people often say, well, what's your theology on healing? Theology just means the knowledge of God we really want to know more about God's ways with us, our theology on God. What, what do we say God is? Who do we say he is? And how do we say he interacts with us through Jesus? And you'll remember, I don't know, some of you would have been there, probably most of you, when Andrew shared on how we are slaves of God. And one day we'll get to heaven and hopefully he'll say, well done, my good and faithful slave or servant. Now, it's a little bit like that, because that's a foundation. That's, that's, that's one of the ways of how God is and who we are in relation to him. That will never change for your lifetime. And, and what, what, I, what I want to talk about in our relationship with God, how that foundation gives us the stability so that when there's a provisioning or a healing issue, we're not rocked because our foundations are sound. So, we're going to look at the life of Jesus because he tells us and showed us as a first model what our life should look like in relation to God. So, let's look at the first slide. When he was speaking to us about our life, and just before the section, he was saying, look, Look at the birds. Look how I provide for them. Don't, be, don't worry about tomorrow. 
And then he says, this is your part. You seek the kingdom and his righteousness, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. So Jesus was saying, look, you can worry about food, and you can worry about tomorrow, and you can worry about your healing, but, but your part is you seek my kingdom and my way of living and my righteousness, live like I would like to see you live in right relationship with me, and I will do the providing. You do that, and I'll do the rest. And then we can go to the next slide. You'll remember at the end of Matthew, it's just before Jesus ascended, and he said, this is the mission. This is, this is your main mission on earth now that I'm going away. And he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. Now, I've got all the authority. This is what I want you to do. You go and make disciples of all nations. You baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And you teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So it's the same model. He says, look, I've got all authority now after my death and resurrection. Your part is to go, preach the gospel, make disciples, teach them what I taught you, and I will be with you always. I will bring the backing. I will bring the authority. I will bring the provisioning. You go, and I will back you. And I love that because you'll see as this plays out, if we watch how Jesus lived, Jesus' whole lifestyle was one of being sent by God as a man, humbled himself to humanity, and then always stayed in relationship with God. You remember in the Gospels how often at night he would go away and pray because his relationship with the Father was so precious to him that he would make sure that that relationship is constant. And as you will see, he kept to doing what the Father asked him to do. The Father did the works through him. So like that model, the Father said, you go, my son, this is what I want you to do, and I will back you. Okay. So, so look, I want to look at the life of Jesus, and I want to just look at some of the scriptures that describes the source of Jesus' power when he healed and delivered. And then I want to look at his relationship with the Father. Are we doing for time? We're doing okay. Let's get some water. Okay. I first want to look at the power, um, the source of Jesus' power. We can look at Luke 5. So, one of the times that, that, that Jesus was healing, remember the, the time that the man was put through the roof, his friends couldn't get to Jesus, so lowered the man through the roof, and then he healed him. It says in Luke, it says, the Lord's power to heal was in him, Jesus. It wasn't Jesus' innate power. It was God's power. There the Lord is God the Father. Because it said the Lord's power was in him, Jesus. And they came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those tormented by unclean spirits were made well. Power was coming out from him 
and healing them all. What was the source of that power? It was from God the Father through Jesus. Okay? Now let's look at relationship. It's the next scripture. I hope you'll excuse me to um, spend a bit of time on the scripture, but often the scripture can put it better than I can, so I'll just stick with, with what's known and what's trustworthy and what we can't doubt is true. Okay, so, so, now, so now Jesus, in Luke, just said what the Bible says is about where God, he gets his power from. Now we see how did Jesus view his relationship with the Father, and how did he act in that relationship? And Jesus himself said, he said, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. The words I speak to you, I do not speak of my own. The father who lives in me does his works. So you see two things there. Jesus says, he himself says, I've got no inherent power or authority. I can do nothing unless it comes from the Father. And then he says, to, to take it another level, he says, and more, the words I speak, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does the works. So he says, not only does all power come from him, but I will be careful that when I speak, it's the Father's words. It's what I hear the Father say, and it's what I see the Father doing. And if you just take a step back from that, the beautiful thing was, I can't remember the scriptures there, but you remember at one stage Jesus said, the disciples asked him, show us the Father. What did he say? He says, you've seen the Father. Because what I say is what he's saying. What I'm doing is what he's doing. So for me, Jesus, to perfectly and properly represent the Father... I can't overstep what he's saying. Because if you're looking at me to see God, and I say more than what he's saying, you might see a different picture to what he intended. And that's pretty awesome if Jesus, as God himself, as a man, was so submitted and humble that he didn't pretend or think too much of himself that I'm going to add to the picture you get of the Father through me. I'm going to add this word and I'm going to do this thing. No, I will only say what the Father is saying because I don't want to misrepresent who he is. Okay. I'm sorry, I get a bit nervous, but I'll calm down at about 20, 35 minutes. <laughs> okay, so this is one of my favorite scriptures, I think it's slide seven. Uh, no, six. You can ignore that for now. There we go. So that's what he said about his relationship. In other words, I will say only what the Father is saying. And then he says, so now he's, he's spoken, Jesus has spoken about where his power comes from and how he represents the Father even in every one of his words, not a word more, not a word less. And now Jesus is speaking to us, because when Jesus ascended, we stepped into relationship with Jesus that Jesus had with the Father. Jesus said, there's only one mediator between you and God, and there's only one way to the Father. It's through me. 
So it's important for us to know, now that Jesus is ascending, how does he want us to stand in relationship with him? And as we'll see, is that in the same way that Jesus stood in relationship to the Father, he wants us to stand in relationship to him. And he said, slide six, he said, abide, you can say, remain, stay, live, abide in me, and I will abide in you. As the branch, speaking of a, of a grape, a vine, he says, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. It's just up there. Jesus just said a while ago, apart from the Father, I can do nothing. In the same way, if you're not abiding in me, you can do nothing. Now, of course, there's a lot of things we can do, and we can say it's Jesus, but it will have no value for Jesus and the Father, and it will have no value in eternity unless it's done abiding in Jesus, in his character, and in obedience to him and who he is. And the second part is, he repeats that, but with another angle, he says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So, again, as a repeat, he said, as I only speak the words of the Father, I want you to abide in me and speak my words. Now, let me just say there's a mystery there, because he says, if you abide in me and speak my words, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And I know there's always been a, a challenging scripture for me as I read the word, Lord, but if I'm going to speak your words, at what stage do I speak what I want, which is not what you want? And I'm not going to delve into that mystery, but to remind us of what Jesus himself said of his relationship with the Father. As we abide in Jesus, and let's say we're looking at the words that Jesus wants to say in the moment. If we can find the heart of Jesus for the moment, or the Holy Spirit gives us the faith to know these are the specific words that Jesus is speaking, if we declare them, then, Jesus, this will be done for you. But if we step out and we say, I'm abiding in Jesus, but this is what I want to do and declare, but that's not what Jesus is doing and declaring in the moment, it will not be done for you. Because the power comes from Jesus. And if we can't stay in him and his character and his words and what he's saying about the situation, there will be no power. So, what is this all jump up? Okay. So, Leo, are we in for time? Oh, good. Okay, now I can slow down a bit and relax. Okay. So that, that's why we'll see when we read the New Testament, and Paul especially, when he talks about, also the other New Testament, Peter and others, you always have this language. It's not speaking of our relationship with Jesus. It's language like, you put to death the old self. Oh, I jumped again. Sorry, my bad. Okay. I'll just not touch it. Here we go. 
put to death the old self by the Holy Spirit. You remain in Christ, and being found in Christ, I may know, so Paul says, he says, I abide in Christ, and being found in Christ, I may know that I have the power of his resurrection. But it's in Christ. And then it says in Romans, it says, put on, clothe yourself every day with the presence of the Lord Jesus. So Jesus wants us to abide in him. When Colossians Paul says, put on Christ daily. So there's a, it's almost like it must be a lifestyle that when we get up in the morning and we may have drifted off in our sleep and had dreams or whatever, that we want to stand up and say, Lord, I want to clothe myself with who Jesus is for this. I want to put on Christ so that I can abide in him today. I can speak the words that he wants and he can do the works through me like the Father did the works through Jesus. But if you're not intentional to abide, we're just humans. We drift. We have our own ideas. But if you're conscious about what is God saying about the moment, where is the Holy Spirit leading me? It says that the sons and daughters of God will be known because they are the ones being led by the Spirit. So there's a daily, almost when say habit, but it must be a lifestyle of we want to make sure that when we represent Christ, we have, we have abided in Him and we speak the words that He's speaking to the situation. Paul says it like this in Philippians slide 7. He says, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Throughout, it's in Christ, abiding in Christ. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And you will see in the life of Paul, you remember he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But his first priority at all times was to be in Christ and to stay in Christ. So that as he remains in Christ, he may share in the power of his resurrection. I think too often we just assume, because I've, t- I've prayed the prayer, I can live the life I want, and I will have the power of my, re- my resurrection. Now that's not for me to say, but what I can tell you, a man like Paul made it very clear that this is his mission, that this is his priority, and nothing else, everything else is worthless compared to that as a priority in his life. So three things happen that when, if we can abide properly in Jesus. The first is, it maintains the relationship. So Jesus and the Father, if I don't try intentionally to abide in Christ and put him on daily and clothe myself with who he is and his character and his ways, I'm not in relationship with him. I may know him, but if I'm not clothed in Christ, he's somewhere else. He's in the cupboard. He's the clothes in my cupboard. But if I don't put him on, I'm not in relationship with him. I can say I'm adopted son and daughter, but I can't go about my day saying, what I'm doing today is as I abide in Christ. I can't say, if I didn't put on Christ, I'm being led by the Spirit of God. Because you need to abide in Christ to be led by the Spirit of God. So abiding, intentionally abiding, is how we maintain our relationship, our proper relationship with Jesus. 
The second thing that, that happens, you remember what Jesus said, is that it allows us to bear fruit for God. In other words, we say we do things for Jesus, right? But the only fruit that will mean anything and that will count anything on that day is that which we did abiding in the vine. Because otherwise you don't bear fruit. In fact, you make like cut off and throw in the fire. So you cannot do anything worthwhile, bear fruit for God, do works for God, righteous things for God, unless it's abiding in Jesus. And the third thing that it does, is, and you'll see why in the context of healing, this is so important. So the third thing that, that it does, abiding in Christ, is it transforms and matures us into the image of Christ. Okay. Excuse me. Okay, being transformed. The next slide. Paul speaking. He says, And we all, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to, the another, to another. And this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So in our process of abiding, intentionally, hearing Jesus, trying to follow the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is saying in the moment, we are being transformed. So on a big scale, when we were formed in the image of God in the garden, we were formed in the image of God, right? We were walking with Jesus in the garden. We were in constant relationship and presence of God. Then we sinned, we got cut off from relationship, got kicked out of the garden, and we became corrupted by sin. So now all our desires are all messed up. It's no longer godly desires, it's evil desires. We are cut off from our relationship from God, and we are literally outside of God and outside of where He wanted us to be. And what we'll see is that from our salvation... And our whole walk with the Lord, it's not just so that when Jesus comes back, we will be transformed into his image. It is in the process of walking with him, abiding with him, being transformed in the process of being in relationship with God. So it's not just that, oh, I'm doing the works of God, I'm doing works for God, I'm bearing fruit for God. As you abide you are being transformed into the image of Christ. And that's huge, because we are becoming like Jesus this side of eternity. And it's not just that. It also, the Bible also talks about maturity. We are being matured into the image of Christ. The reason I want us to see that in the context of healing and provisioning and everything else is that sometimes we're asking God for something specific, healing, provisioning, or we suffer or we get sick, or we have hard times at home, or hard times with family. Now, you can say, I prayed, and God didn't bring the healing or the restoration or do what I asked, and I really felt it was what God wanted for me. And then you say, well, I'm in relationship, but God's not doing anything. But here's the beautiful thing. If I can participate with Jesus, even in my suffering, or disappointment, or not getting what I prayed for, abiding in Jesus, in that process, I am being transformed to become more and more like Him, to think more and more like He does, to become more and more mature. And I can't say I understand 
exactly how this hangs together. But what I see in my Bible is that God is more invested in the, in the, in the, in the restoration of we made us originally into his image, into forming a character and a personality and desires of Christ in us. He's more invested in that than in our comfort. He will rather let us suffer if that's what it takes to make us more like Jesus. If that's what it's going to take to make you more mature. And that doesn't mean we don't ask for healing. We don't ask for provision. But we do it like Jesus does. Say, Lord, this is what I need and this is with, with what I'm struggling. But I know who you are and I trust you. And as I continue to trust you even in hard times, at least you're doing this. You're always forming the character of Christ in me as I persevere, even in hard times. Okay, so just the two scriptures very quickly on being renewed nine. Paul says, we put on the new self, so this is the new creation we are in Christ. And it says, you are being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of your creator. In other words, in this life, as you walk with Jesus, this is what God's doing inside of us. Next one. This will, it says in Ephesians, this process will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ, growing in every way more and more like Christ. So, I've already said how this was Paul's singular and sole desire. And what I just want to say is that sometimes you can listen to that process and think like, eh, I really want the healing. I prefer the miracle. I prefer the provision. But if we say, uh, to being transformed into the image of Jesus, becoming like him in this life, despite where we come from, there's something wrong with our hearts. Because somewhere along the line, the things and the provisions and the ones and the needs have trumped who Jesus wants to make us. And if that's no longer preeminent in your life and secondary, i.e., what you think of God gets determined by your provision and gets determined by your healing. You swap things the other way around because that makes you God. And if he doesn't live up to your expectations, then he's wrong. And that's not how it works. You will always be God. Even Jesus was completely surrendered to the Father's will. So we can look at the uh, Scripture just now, but just think, just look at Jesus' example of this. Just before his crucifixion, he prayed three times to God. He said, sweating blood, knowing what he's going to go through, knowing what he's going to suffer on the cross, knowing the shame and the pain and the brutal death he's going to die. So he knew this. And he said, God, if it's possible, will you deliver me from this? Three times he prayed. I don't know which one to jump to, which one that is. Uh, 11, please. 
But this is what it says of Jesus. For the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God, right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. When Jesus knew all that, why did he persevere? For the joy set before him. Now the joy was not when he was flagellated. The joy was not when they hit nails through his hands or tore his beard or spat in his face or put a crown of thorns on his head. That was not the joy that brought him through. The joys that Jesus can see on this side of the cross, and now he's not begged, but he's asked God the Father three times, please take this away from me. And then God says, no, basically. Now, where did Jesus find joy in that moment to endure the cross? Because he knows what he's going to suffer. He asked three times to be delivered from that. And God the Father said, no. Because Jesus said, your will be done. Right? Now, what's well enough, but where's the joy? Tomorrow, I'm still going to go through that crucifixion. The joy was that Jesus knew who his father was. He knew what God's character is. He knew that he's faithful. He knew that if this is what God wants for him, then this is the only way this salvation to humanity can be established. And when God the Father said no, he didn't second guess God. Well, you could have done it this way. We could have done it another way. We could have sent somebody else. He just accepted. And why could he accept why could it be joy? Because he was in such intimate and close relationship with his father that he knew exactly who he was, what his character is, that he can be trusted, and that even though he's going to go through something terrible, he trusted his father to be working something so wonderful that this will be worth it. And he knew his father would not forsake him. And there was one time when Jesus said, Father, why have you forsaken me? Now, knowing that will happen, where's the joy? The joy was that he knew that even if in the moment of his death, God had to abandon him and forsake him, pull away from him. God from his son, pull away, forsake him. He knew that my father would not do that unless he knew that it was necessary for what he wants me to achieve. Because he trusted his father and he knew his character. And even he knew that even if you forsake me, I know that there's a greater purpose that can't be served any other way because I trust you completely to do whatever you want, however you want to do it. Even if everything in my flesh asks for a deliverance from that way of doing it. And now you remember the words of Jesus. We were a little bit better off because Jesus said, you go make disciples and baptize and teach. And I will be with you always to the end of the age. We will never be forsaken. No matter what we go through, no matter how hard it is, how sick we get, how we suffer, or how whatever happens to us, our security, our uh, parachute is not in the things God is doing. It's knowing who he is. And that if I've asked for him to deliver me from X, Y, or Z, 
or to heal me or to release me from suffering or to give me money for food. And he doesn't do it because I know him and who he is and his character. I have such a close relationship with him. Even if I don't know how he's going to do it, I know that he's allowing it for a purpose that's bigger than me, for his glory, and ultimately for my good. So, let's look at Paul. While you look at Paul, I'm going to drink some water. And I love this, because we know that Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And you remember Paul had this thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it is. But the Bible says, it was a messenger from Satan. That's hectic. And it said, Paul, because I've shown you such amazing revelations about the third heaven... I'm going to send this messenger from Satan to torment you, to keep you humble. Harsh, eh? What did Paul do? What Jesus did? He prayed. He says, Lord, take this thorn away from me. And like Jesus, he prayed three times. And the answer was, no. Because he knew God was able, as the Father was able to release Jesus from the crucifixion. But more important was, what was the will of the Father? And if I've asked him three times for what I think is right in my situation, what I think I need, what I think my family needs, the provision I think I need, the healing I think I need, and I've stayed in Christ best I could, and I didn't get my healing, and I didn't get my provision, then I must know God is busy with something else. And let me just say, that doesn't mean you stop praying. If like Jesus and Paul, after the third time, they knew, and you hear now what Jesus said to Paul himself, which is basically no. If God has said no, then you can comfortably stop praying. Because he said no, he's not going to change his mind. But if he hasn't said no, that doesn't mean you can stop asking him. You continue to ask and continue to seek him, but you do that reverently. You do that trusting in him even if I don't get it now, what I think I need, otherwise I will die. If he's not going to give it to me now, and he hasn't said no, Jesus said, ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. If you don't ask, you won't receive. But then James says, some of you don't have because you don't ask. So you must ask. But he says, some of you don't have what you ask because you ask to satisfy your human desires. Jesus is not into satisfying our human desires. Why? Because they're evil. We can't become like Jesus if he keeps on satisfying our human desires. It's like a naughty kid. Lots of young kids here. My kids are excluded, of course. You can buy into the tantrum, and you can give them sweets, and you can let them stay up late, but that won't help them. What they need is a firm no and a holding no, and they're going to hate you in the moment, and they will throw a tantrum. And when they're teenagers, it can get rougher than that. But that doesn't mean you can change your decision, because it's birth out of, I know what's best for you, and you don't see it. You just have to trust me. So I'm not resisting you because you want to be unkind. I'm resisting you because I am kind. You just don't see what you need. So Paul said... So this is now after praying for the thorn in the flesh to be removed. He said, but he said to me, Jesus, 
My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly whoops, in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. How beautiful is Paul's response. He's going to live the rest of his life. God has said no, because he said, I'm not giving you that. You've got grace and it's sufficient. And my power is made perfect in you. You can see you need to be weak. So he's going to have a messenger of Satan. I know that may be a healing thing. That may be a spiritual thing. But the rest of his human life, he will have a messenger of Satan to torment him to keep him humble. Now, if any one of you got that deal from God, will that redefine who you think God is? Because it shouldn't. Because he asked. Paul did like Jesus. He was imitating Jesus. Paul asked with everything in him to be released from this tormentor from Satan. And Jesus said, no. Because the grace I will give to you will be sufficient for you to endure the torment. And what is more, Paul, if you can embrace your weakness, being tormented for the rest of your human life, my power will rest on you. And I will, Jesus, my own power will rest on you to endure the torment for the rest of your life. And many of us would say, well, God, I'm actually more interested in the thorn going. Really? I know your grace is there, and I know your power will rest on me. Frankly, I just want the thorn to go. But Paul understood something about the relationship with Jesus, like Jesus understood the relationship with the Father. Jesus said, if it's your will, take this away from me. But if you don't take it away from me, it's not your will. And then for the joy that I have, that you will do something wonderful through my suffering, I will embrace it with joy. Paul did the same. What is his response? He says, instead of being muff and throwing a tantrum and saying, okay, I'm not going to pray again you know, for healing because God didn't heal when I asked him, what does he say? He says, no, no, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. See, if you don't get the outcome you want, and you turn your back on God, your problem is, you've turned your back on the grace and the power you need to endure it. And now you're on your own. The Bible says God will resist the proud, and He gives grace to the humble. If you think you know better than God, you're proud. If you've asked three times for something, and God doesn't give it to you, and you say, well, that's it. I'm done asking for this. You have just stepped up and said, God, you should bow to my needs, and you didn't, so I'm out of here. I'm tapping out of relationship because I didn't get what I want. Now, there's a certain kids are when they do exactly that. But it's kids this high. They're immature. And we must take something from Paul's understanding. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. To know that even when we don't get what we think we need, and we have to live with a tormentor from Satan. I hope none of us have to for the rest of our lives. We boast in our weakness. We, sur we, we surrender to them, and we embrace them. We accept them, because why? Because God's grace will continue to flow towards me, and His power will continue to be there to endure. And I'll just take a step back away from Paul, so that the messenger was there to keep him humble. 
God knew that Paul needed this thorn and that weakness and that suffering under God's grace and under God's power. Paul needed that for Paul to become the man in this life more into the image of Jesus, maturing into the image of Jesus, being renewed into the image of Jesus, having his mind renewed, being transformed glory to glory to be more like Jesus. Because something, and I don't know what the answer is, but I know the day we step out of this life, what was formed in us through Jesus will have an effect in eternity. And, and we might not see it, and we prefer the comfort now, and we'll take eternity, but God knows better. Jesus knew to trust the Father, and Paul knew to trust the Father. Now, if we have Jesus and Paul, are we going to say, well, I'm going to do it differently? If I don't get my needs met, I tap out. What we need to do, we need to lean into a relationship with Jesus. When you suffer and you're not being released when and how you should or being provided for, you lean into Jesus because that's where the grace is. That's where the power is to endure. That's where you will get comfort from God so you can comfort others. And as you lean in, you continue this transformation process that makes you more like the man and the woman God initially intended you to be for as long as you endure and for as long as you remain in relationship. And I will just say something else about Leo, are we doing for time? No, how long? Oh, 40 minutes already? Oh my goodness, I'm sorry. Can I have five more minutes? I'm sorry, I thought, I thought you said 10 just now. Time flies when I hope we're all having fun. Okay, so I just want to say this. I think the thing to see about when we get miffed with God because we don't get what we want. What happened in the garden? They had a choice. They said, there is the tree of life. Eat as much as you want. That one tree of the knowledge of good and bad, good and evil, I don't want you to eat of that. When we say we know better than God in our situation, we say, Jesus, I know you're the tree of life, and your grace and power is available to me if I lean into it through my suffering. But I prefer to know. I'd rather have that tree, eat of that, so that I can know what's good for me. And I can know what's bad, and I can know what's evil. And then if I know, and you don't live up to it, I'm out of here. The problem is, is that it, it is it's rebellion towards God. He's offering the tree of life to go through this life in humble submission to who God is through Christ in us, like Jesus did, like Paul did. And we say, now. I know better. It's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you choose to know better than God, you're walking away from the tree of life. If we don't remain in Christ and continue to trust that God is good, even if we don't see it, you're at risk of losing your salvation. I don't know how that works, but Jesus said, if you don't abide in me, I will cut off the branches and I'll throw you in the fire. I don't know if it's here or there or in between, but that's what Jesus said. And I just want to say this about some of the sufferings I've had in my, say, 14 years as a Christian. There's been some hard stuff 
personal, family. And some of those times were very hard. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and something's changed, and something's never changed, and something's made me suffer as I went along. But as I leaned into Jesus, because I don't have a choice, <laughs> he knows, but only hope in this life, if you know my past, was to stay very close to Jesus, because if I had my way, I wouldn't be alive today. But when I look back at some of those times, when Jesus didn't heal or change my family situation or do the change that I thought would make me suffer less, if I look back at those ones where I really leaned into Jesus, those were sweet times, not in the moment. But looking back at them, I don't think I want to swap them for the intimacy and the closeness I had with Jesus in those times. I know some of you have been through hard stuff, but it's like that. If you, can, if you can, through your suffering, lean into Jesus, your suffering and how you can through it, the comfort that God will give you and you can comfort others, it becomes a testimony of the goodness of God. He says, I can't give you what you need and what you think you want because I know better. But you know what? If you just stay close to me, I'll continue to comfort you and give you grace and give you power to endure because living in relationship with me is what will continue to transform us. And staying in relationship with you is how we'll end up with him, the boys and girls, men and women that he wants us to be when he comes back. Okay? Thank you, guys.